Welcome to Vino Week, episode 17, brought to you by Vino 101. Welcome to Vino Week. I'm Bill. Hello, I'm Al. Hello, everybody. How is uh, how are our wine peeps doing today? I hope they're doing good. They can't um, respond. We'll just assume they're doing well, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, if you're if you're uh, you know if you're interested in wine, your day can't be all bad. It really can't. We got uh, we got a, a perfect weekend coming up here. Finally, um, I like the rain during the week and uh, nice and clear on the weekend. It's a good start to the. Good start to the fall. Here, 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 here. Well, are you uh, are you going to go down to your local Taco Bell and do some tasting? I'd like to, but I'd have to drive all the way to San Francisco, and quite frankly, <laughs> driving to San Francisco to check out Taco Bell's wine tasting menu, eh, probably not. Well, we should probably explain 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 that all. <laughs> yeah, Taco Bell's getting in the. Uh, the um, wine business. I guess they're trying to move out of uh, suburbia and get into the urban environment. And in order to fit in, uh, they would like to uh, be a little bit more hip. I yeah. think that's that's the. It's going to be called Taco Bell Cantina. Yep. And TC. you know, may uh, you know, probably somewhat trying to go after Chipotle, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, in terms of trying to you know appeal to be more hip, but. Uh, you know the beer and wine. Um, you know the beer and wine addition to their menu. You know, sort of makes sense. You know, especially with um, um, you know Mexican food. I don't. I think yeah, you can get you can get beer and wine. I think you can get wine at Chipotle. I know you can get beer, and I also think they have margaritas at Chipotle. But they're you know they're pre-made. They're like in a in a, um, you know, in a can or a bottle. And I'm not sure if they're like wine margaritas or, if, you know, if it's actually tequila. But, you know, I, it, it's somewhat not surprising that Taco Bell's going after this. It, one thing that was interesting in, in this, uh, I don't know if this is an article. Yeah, it's actually a post by, by uh, Hemioff. Hemioff? Hemioff. Uh, um, <clears throat> um, oh, boy, I lost my train of thought there for a minute. That's okay. I'll take over because one of the things I think is interesting is they're definitely going after millennials. Yeah, that was my point. Thanks. <laughs> they, are, they are. They are. They're hitting hard for the millennials. And you know, it's interesting that they're starting. You know, these are starting in Chicago and San Francisco, which are you know probably as far as urban markets, those are two of the top markets you want to go after. You know, aside from say maybe like New York City or L.A. and the foods that I mean, it's a revamped menu, so all the foods are going to be free of artificial colors and flavors. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing? So, no artificial yellow uh, number six dye, and uh, no um, number blue uh, blue number one dye. Uh, so, you know, I mean, they're making an effort to to get the get the younger crowd, and you know. They make these kids that are in San Francisco. I sh- shouldn't call them kids, but um, they they make good money. But you know, they're also into getting a good deal and getting some good eats at the same time. So it should work out. Right, right. I um, I you know, so in you know, so I'm reading this. So in my mind, yeah, I completely agree. Completely targeted millennials, and then um, you know, definitely after. Um, Definitely after Chipotle. 
Guess who's making the wines for him? That oh, I just saw that. Hugh Chappelle. He's the he's the winemaker. Interesting. <laughs> Isn't that Interesting. great? Yeah. That guy is a wizard, man. He makes great wine. So um he's up at uh Lindmar. he used to make wines at um uh Lenmar. Flowers. Yeah, and now he's uh, now he makes wines at Kibera. He makes really yeah. great wines. And actually he makes wines for uh uh Charles Heinz also. Interesting. Which, uh, if you ever get a chance to try those wines, uh, Heinz used to be, or still is, a, a pretty big grower out here in West County, and um, he makes the wines for them, and they're fabulous. Yeah. So well, they're going to have good wine. Yeah, I'm going to go check it out, right? I, yeah. In the city every now and then, and uh, like daily, and so I'll go. Um, I have to go check out check out the cantina. Do they say where they're going to have the first one? I is can't there... see it. I, I'm I'm scanning the article, but uh, I don't so, see. I, I wonder I if it's going to be downtown in the financial district, you know, right next to Soups or something. <laughs> well, they mentioned they mentioned AT and T Park. Oh, oh wow. yeah, so it's going to be in Soma, right? So it'll be yeah. south of Market. And the reason is, is because you know, back to the millennial point, there's a bunch of startups down there, and yep. you know, tech startups. So you know, it's a, it's uh, it makes sense that they're going to be in that location. I, I don't know how many of these they'll be able to roll out in um, in the urban environment, but I would say if they follow a good formula, that that's going to be a hit in that area. I mean, I I think that'd be a hit. Yeah, you know, you know, you know. So I, you know, people, you know, in your twenties, you know, Taco Bell's still sort of on the after bar rotation, right? You've yes. Been out having a few at night, and you're hungry. Uh, after doing that and Taco Bell's open and you hit it up. So, you know, that, that sort of an, you know, they already have customers that they can direct to those stores. And I bet you they have a way to let them know that that's happening. So it'd be very interesting to see how, well, one, if they can make it successful in, in those markets that we talked in SF and Chicago, and then can they expand it to, you know, where can they expand this thing to? Yeah. It'd be, you know, it's going to work. Yeah. yeah and, um, you know, in Omaha, Nebraska and, I mean, that's what would be interesting. Can they bring yeah. that type of cuisine or that concept to, um, you know, very uh, places that may not be, may not have exposure to these types of things on a regular basis? You know, you, um, it'll be just be interesting to see. Yeah, well, we'll have to keep everyone posted on that. Maybe we'll have to do a um, a quick run and do like a a, a dine and dash and uh, evaluate the food quality. It's been a while since I've been in a Taco Bell. We'll so. have to do lunch. <laughs> exactly. There we go. Meet you at meet you at the cantina. I'll meet you at, the, at TBC Taco <laughs> Bell Cantina. All right. Um, Costco Hair aims to create new Napa cult wines. In fourteen hundred and three steps. Well, yeah, I didn't get that part. <laughs> Explain that to me. I, I have no idea. I read the article. I didn't see. I don't. I didn't see any reference to the to the steps. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty weird. But it is. It's interesting to know that it's in Bloomberg Business, so it's in a business magazine. Um, and it is Costco. It's one of the heirs of Costco. That's uh, diversifying, and he's what has he done? He's bought a property and uh, spent a whole bunch of money on it. Right. And uh, now he's uh, he's getting all the top quality um, winemakers and vineyardists, and uh, he's making a, a high end wine. 
and he's starting a club, so to speak. Right. There's actually it actually does mention that he has um and he is uh Senegal, Mr. Senegal, right? Yes, that's I don't his, know his first name. It's uh James. His father uh James Senegal was the co co founder of Costco. Costco right. Uh David is the guy that's um taking it over. But he's smart. He just says, Okay, I wanna do this. Well, I'm just gonna buy all the you know, best people and the best stuff and have them do it for me. But this is what I want to do. So, uh, that's yeah, he says that there's 1,403 steps that it takes to make a great wine. Yeah. And, you he know, does not enumerate what those are. Yeah, he doesn't. And the, the, the team that he put together, it's a pretty good team. Actually. He's got Tony Biaggi, um, is, uh, going to be, uh, the winemaker, um, Who's Tony Biaggi? Uh, Tony Biaggi, he was a winemaker at Plump Jack. You, you know those wines are dynamite. Uh, he followed up, um, I believe he followed up, uh, um, having a mental blank, it'll come back. But um, he has um, a viticulturist, Jim Barber, and um, a consultant, Craig Williams, which he used to work with Phelps Insignia. So they're kind of, you know, he, he's bringing in some high-end uh very noteworthy people that have been in the business for a while to help him make the wines. And uh, let's see, what is the club? Let's see, if you want to get started on the club on the mailing list, the lowest level includes six bottles of estate Cabernet and three bottles of the reserve Cabernet and Cabernet Franc a year for $1,545. So uh, the second tier, you get uh, twice as many bottles, for three thousand and ninety dollars in the top tier, um, they they put put out some reserve Cabernet and Magnums of all three reds for fifty two hundred bucks. So the buy in is, I mean, when you, when you think of Napa Cabernet, high end Cabernet, the buy in is pretty low. But still, I'm not buying in at the high level. How about you, Bill? No, I will not be purchasing um, any of these wines. Um, yeah. I wouldn't mind trying. Yeah, it'd be nice to try them, so we'll see what we can do to, we'll to get it. We'll have to go over there and do a report. But this has to do with just that whole thing of uh, another way to buy into a luxury um, a luxury product. And uh, it, as we were, we were talking about this earlier, it's, it's not a new concept. It's just got a slightly different twist on it. Yeah, there are people that do somewhat – things similar to this, but on a much um, – I'll say the luxury um, end of it is um, more – it focused much more on sort of the luxury brand piece of it, and it's um, there's wine making involved, so you can kind of specify what you make. But it's 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 big money yeah. to do um, these other things, and there's you know there's plenty of well, I think there's a couple interesting things about this in terms of the wine business. So one is this is, and you know we're seeing more and more of this. This is about the experience of around wine, you know, as opposed to yep, it's. You can buy wine, but there's there's things packaged around it that it's not just about getting a bottle of wine. It's about the experience of, you know, man, not only, you know, the manufacturing, but, you know, being able to go to an estate if you buy in the right access and you can kind of participate in all of that like you would if you were a winery owner. Yeah, that's a great point. 
And then the next one is it's, you know, along those lines that as we were talking earlier and you had brought up the changing, the, how the wine business is changing. And the Taco Bell article is similar to that too in that people are trying different ways to get, you know, uh, people access to wine and in different sort of context, right? So this is a context where you're part of a club. You can have a physical experience. Um, in addition, you're getting great wine by somebody who's deconstructed the wine business. And then, you know, the Taco Bell thing is, you know, providing access to, you know, it's almost European in some respect where, you know, you go into eat like a quick service restaurant um, like Taco Bell and there's, you know, there isn't just, you know, soda on the menu, you know, sugary soda, you can now get beer and wine. And, you know, there, there probably is a time, point in time in, in America where, you know, you know, there are families probably wouldn't go into Taco Bell if it had beer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, yeah, the market so, has changed. Like that whole market is changing. There's like an expectation now that that stuff's available. I mean, you go. Well, yeah, right? we're, we're adopting the European model. Uh, in in a, it, we're getting away from our uh, our pur- puritanical roots. Exactly. You know, it's like it's okay to have a beer with your taco. Yes. Yeah, you don't have to sneak your bottle in anymore. So that's uh, and that, Starbucks. That part is, and Starbucks is experimenting with this stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and also I think a third point, and I'm not sure if this has more, uh, you know, just for financial, the finances of a winery. If you can cut out that that second tier, I mean, you're the producer. If you can somehow cut out the amount of wine that you're running through your distributor, well, there's 30% more in your margin that you can capture yourself. So if you can entice people to come to your property and they're buying your, buying your product directly from you and getting, or they're getting it mailed by you to them, well, you don't have to go through the distributor. You're saving yourself a lot of coin. Yeah. You talk to any, you talk to any winemaker who has their own, their own brand and is building their business. The first thing they'll tell you is that the single most important thing is to build your, your club list. Yep. And you know, that's that mark. You're just saving that whole distribution chain margin. Now from a brand standpoint, you know, it's important to try to get out there, especially to places that are influencers, right? So those are the markets like, you know, Miami and, and, and Houston and, you know, obviously, you know, uh, California, Chicago, New York. But, um, you know, for a lot of, um, you know, for a lot of people that make these craft, I'm going to call them craft or artisan uh, products, you know, you have to build a patronage effectively. And there's ways to do that today that just weren't available 10 years ago, even five years ago, even. So Yeah, that's true. And the reason that you have to do that is that you don't make enough wine to be even considered by a wholesaler. Usually, I mean, if you're making five or six thousand cases of wine, a lot of these some of these producers, they might be making just like two thousand cases or something. That's not even enough to like they're, they're never going to get the attention of a distributor and their wine is just going to never, ever be sold by anybody because they don't have enough of it to begin with. So they really don't have, they have to have, they have to direct sell. That's the way that that's the only way they're going to survive. Right. Right. 
And a lot of, you know, and a lot of times too, people want, you know, the, the, uh, the makers of these things, the creators, you know, they want that sort of close customer experience. It's why they are, they aren't, you know, it's about making that product and sharing it with people who like it versus I'm just going to, you know, make something to make a, you know, make a, a lot of money. You know, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that everybody's motive is profit, but I think that the entry point for those those two different there's that's there's very different entry points there. You know, yes, their businesses they want to make money, but one's really about you know producing and you know ensuring that there's you know a craft or artisan product you know um, you know versus you know just the utility of it. I guess that might be too um, you know single dimension thinking but that's certainly one way to look at it hey and speaking of you know speaking of sort of changes in the business how about um keg wine when's the last time you had a keg wine beer uh ben (laughs) excuse me bill that's right i'll respond to ben um (laughs) you could call me billy ben um your name again that's my uh, southern name maybe um Probably less than six months ago at Wind Gap. There we go. That's my that's my recollection recollection too. Wind Gap is where I had it. Um, also, and it was I mean it was done properly, right? I I um one of the things I got out of this article is so first of all the whole idea about kegging wine and um yeah, it seems like a good concept, right? Conceptually, it seems like a great idea. Um, especially if you're in a restaurant, we've been talking in, on a number of, you know, vino weeks over the last you know few weeks about how, um, restaurants struggle with being able to handle their, you know, wine by the glass or their wines in general. So like if you can, you know, get a fridge and stick a keg in there and control the temperature and, you know, it's not getting oxidized cause it's, you know, it's contained, uh, seems like a great idea, right? Does seem like a good idea. Why is it not really catching on? Well, we have all kinds of problems <laughs> with kegging. <laughs> like, let's just start with you have you cannot put the cabernet and the chardonnay on the same tank lines. No, can't do that. That and I will tell you that will happen. And then uh, I guess from a production standpoint, I didn't. I you know, you start reading it, and you're like, oh, of course. You know, just the manufacturing end of it, getting the gas mixture right. Um, the cleanliness of the facility, you know, I found it hilarious. These people are talking about, well, yeah, we, we flush our lines every time, you know, we clean our lines or not every time, but we clean our lines frequently. And I'm thinking, man, when I was in the food production business, if something got put through a pipe, it got cleaned right afterwards. Exactly. <laughs> and then it got cleaned even before it was used again. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> and, and it wasn't clean. It was, let me be clear. It was sanitized. Exactly. I mean, there was, it was, and it was scientifically sanitized and oftentimes it got tested before. And the reason there's good reason for that. If you messed it up, you potentially damaged, you know, a mass, a large volume of product that had very low margin. So like you needed all of that to sort of work. So here's, I think that like, so I read that and I'm like, man, that problem can be solved. I mean, that's, that can't be that hard to deal with. It can be solved. And here's the deal on the production side at a winery. And this is why a lot of um, this is why people in the industry, because there's actually a person that's quoted in here. But 
they didn't want to be named <laughs> about why they're not using, you know, they don't want to go in the keg system. According to sources. At a, yeah. At a winery, let's say you got a tank of wine, tank A, and you want to move it to tank B. Well, what you do is before you do anything, you sanitize everything that's going to come in contact with the wine. The pumps, the seals, the, the hoses, clamps, the hoses yep. everything. Yep. And you go through a – there's a specific – There's a protocol. Procedure that you go through there's to do all of that. Yep. And then once they're clean, then you hook everything up and you move the product from tank A to tank B. Well, just imagine having to do that with every different line change that you had with wine in a restaurant. I mean – Somebody's gonna figure it out, but my gosh, I remember back in the day when these when these uh, tap pours. I mean, it's, these things have been around forever. They've been around for like forty years, and they still haven't figured out a way to keep the lines clean. I mean, that's like the main thing is how to how to properly sanitize the lines between each keg. Yeah, it's almost like somebody's got to develop uh, like a one time use thing. Yeah, you know where you, or, or like some kind of um, insert, or you know I, you know, it, it, it. But that's the issue. I mean, you know, yeah. having like beer, it happens all the time, right? You go into a bar or any establishment and get a beer, and you know it's a beer you've had before, and it it comes. It's like, man, there's something else in this beer. There's something wrong yeah. here. Or you just know, you can just smell it. You can smell that. You know, you get that band aid smell on your beer. Yep. It's like, uh, man, a dirty tap. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's funny when you start talking to people who run them, they're like, ah, lazy barkeep. Not cleaning your taps. Um, and it's the same thing with all stuff. Like, even like, uh, yeah, Taco Bell, going back to Taco Bell, you know, they have the taps, but what they have is the soda distributors have a guy that comes by. And he comes by on a regular basis and cleans the lines. Yeah. So I mean, that's right, part. They're, they're so worried about their product being exactly the way they want it to be that they furnish that as part of the service. Right. Guy comes out, right. makes sure everything is um, clean, makes sure the pressure's right, you know, make sure the gas flows right, the whole thing. And you know, you're running a bar, man. That's just another thing that you're throwing on the bartender and the bar back to take care of. Right. And, you know, it's not going to get done. I, I know this. It's just not going to get done. Yeah. By well, unless you're like on, I mean, it's just yet another thing you've got to, you know, you've got to be diligent and diligent about from an operation standpoint. And, and we were just talking last week about how about, you know, about how they can't even keep the, the temperature, can't even serve the red wine at the proper temperature. I mean, how are they going to clean, clean their lines? Yeah, it's almost like it has to be part of the system. You know, either, you know, you've got people, you're buying from a vendor who's servicing it, or the system itself, that that clean thing happens as part of the system itself. It, it's, and, and I completely agree with you, if you leave it up to the, you know, if you leave it up to, you know, the bar that, or, you know, the, the restaurant or whatever that's, you're responsible for it, it, you know, seven, eight, six times out of 10, it'll never get done. Yeah, it won't. And I'm trying to think about the time when I, I'm, I'm trying to think back, you know, this is a long time ago when I own restaurants, I'm trying to figure out how often we clean the beer taps. And I, I'm 
drawing a blank. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> so, but that's the key. You got the, the tap lines, they got to be clean and they have to be sanitized on a regular basis or the wine is just going to taste terrible. Right. Now, the flip side of this is they could actually deliver. Um, I mean, if you figure, if you crack that nut, you can actually deliver wine that costs you much less. So you're going to get an increased margin and you're going to be able to have a wider variety. Yeah. And there's the rub. I don't, I can't, it's been a while since I read the article. I, I read it like last week, but one of the things I noticed, okay, if you're a restaurateur, okay. And you go with the keg system, you go through the expense of having it put in, or in a lot of cases, you know, it's probably gratis by, you know, the producers, yeah. you know, cause they want your business. So you get to take that extra, you could either pass those savings on to the consumer or you could take that extra, extra margin. What do you think they're going to do? Oh, they're going to take margin. Yeah. Um, but I bet you uh, Taco Bell might leverage it on the other, on, in the other way. So they're going yeah. after lower margin, higher volume. Okay. And they might be able to figure out, you know, they might have the infrastructure available to make sure that they can deliver wine this way in a consistent basis. So if you're, if you're a restaurateur and you're interested in that, watch what Taco Bell's doing. Yeah, and a lot of it depends on your restaurant. Like, uh, say you got a big restaurant that that pumps, uh, you know, two hundred, th- you know, three hundred um, tops a night. I mean, this is something you could do, but you could also just keep pouring them out of the bottle because you're not going to have that much waste. You know, you're gonna you're gonna have a a quarter of a bottle left. You know, you just give that to the staff at the end of the night. So that's a way you can ensure that all your wine is is going to be. You know, I mean, you're not going to keep it till the next day, but um, you can always ensure that your wine is going to be, you know, top notch. Ah, the caveat is depending on if it's not cork. You're, then you're talking about cork bottles. Yeah. You want to deal with that? Well, maybe you want to do screw caps. You know, so there's there's all kinds of ways to to beat the beast down. They got some more work to do with the the keg wine. There's yeah, more- no doubt, no doubt. No doubt. And it's, you know, it's one of these things that we see come and go. Yeah. Um, all right. What about, sh- let's talk a little bit, of, since we're on wine delivery. <laughs> we're totally on wine delivery. Let's, yeah. What's up? L- let's talk about shipping wine. So there was a, um, this is a post and this is actually an entrepreneur magazine, but they're talking about the three precautions of, of uh, shipping wine. And we've, you know, we've talked about this before. Yep. So, you know, and there's just, you know, there are three big, there are three big bullets are, you know, where, where did you buy your wine? So, you know, we've harped on this before, check in the store policy, you know, you're, you, you know, don't buy from the store that's shipping you wine from California to New York on July, you know, in July. <laughs> yeah, not a good idea. Probably not going to do well. Yeah. And on that, on that same note, how long was the trip? And then the third one is sort of, what did you buy? Um, yeah. And I, and so I think probably this is a most impo- most interesting piece to talk about, just to remind people that you know different wines have sort of different. Um, I'm going to call it, I'm going to say shelf life, but they have different tolerance in terms of um, you know being able to um, be shipped or you know take a journey. Yep. Uh, and they you know they mentioned Pinot, uh, and we've said this you know Pinot is a fragile grape. It it needs to it needs a lot of TLC probably doesn't travel very well. Yeah, don't don't order a, a case of Jevry Chambertin, you know, from New York and 
have it shipped to Idaho and then open it up, you know, you know, the day after you get it, you're going to be be disappointed. Right. And that's sort of the point. The point is, is that, you know, it can travel. It's just, you know, you got to make sure the temperature is right. And then, you know, when you get it, leave it be for a little while. Yeah, what I do is, well, I'm kind of slow on the wine thing, but and in, you, I'm not saying in general that this is something you should do, but whites travel, uh, they're less sturdy, like Riesling, you know, uh, Chenin Blanc, Sauvignon Blanc, all those wines, they're a little bit less sturdy uh, than reds. Chardonnay's pretty pretty durable, I find. It's, it's, it's pretty durable, so... But uh, in general, whites travel not as easily as reds. Cabernet's pretty tough. I mean, I've seen Cabernet, I've seen Cabernet travel across state, and where the actual um, <laughs> this is weird, the actual cork was never put in the bottle on the bottling line, and it just had the lead capsule. And or the aluminum capsule, and it actually traveled uh, across state, um, you know, several thousand miles. And when it got to us, it was actually, it was drinkable. What? Uh, <laughs> wow, what's in that wine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, I mean, so I mean, red wine wow. is pretty is pretty sturdy, but certain reds aren't. Like you know, so the, usually the lighter, um, less tannic reds, you know, you want to give them a little time off. So what I do is I I order a lot of wine online. But typically, it's just here in California, so it's not traveling a long way. Right. It's usually coming from LA and coming up. And I usually let the wine, if I'm really anxious to try it, I'll let it at least sit for a week. And then a lot of times, I'm just buying it just to restock so it hangs out a little longer. Right. But you do want it to let it, let it sit for a while. So give it a week to 10 days to, to relax, and I think you get a better result, especially with Pinot and uh, your lighter lighter whites. Yeah, I was going to ask you what what sort of percentage of the the wine you drink you actually, you know, order online or, um, you know, order and have shipped to you. Um, it's really low. It's uh, I'd say probably ten percent of the wine that I consume or order is, you know, I I do online. It might be less than that. It's really low. But and and then again, a lot of the wine that we that we try, and I'm sure the wine, um, well, less so in, in my house, but I would assume more so in your house, um, our old world wines are wines that may not necessarily be from California. Yeah, and that's so that's how I that's how I end up doing the the ordering online. You know, if I want some, uh, if I'm looking for some, I mean, let's face it, we're in California, so it's harder to. You know, there's a much better selection of European style wines on the East Coast. So gotcha. you gotta gotcha. gotta order them from over there. You know, that's where they come in. Gotcha. So hey, we probably have time for like one one more. You wanna go Uber? Uber wine? Sure, we can do Uber. Um we can do Uber. Um you know, so Uber is actually and they're doing this in central California. So San Luis Obispo and, uh, or I'm sorry, Santa Barbara and, um, Central California, San Ynez Valley is what I was looking for, where you can kind of get a driver for a day and you have to plan your own itinerary, but this driver is sort of available to you. And I think it worked out to like 35 bucks an hour. God, that is Um, awesome. 
it 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 is awesome and the, you know the reason it's awesome is people can go taste wine and obviously not have to worry about you know getting behind the wheel of a car and having any you know anything bad happen to them or you know or have them else yeah you know do anything else so that that's just smart it does what what i you know so like the transport like for you and i that would be awesome cuz i know where i'd want to go and it would be great to have a driver i think for people who aren't um, you know, who aren't necessarily, you know, I mean, what happens if you just show up to go wine tasting with no plan? Yeah, that's you know, going to be. <laughs> so somebody in your party has to have some knowledge of where to go. Um, you know, and you can imagine sort of the business that's going to evolve around this where wineries are going to start getting to know Uber drivers and, you know, bring people here and, you know, they'll be, um, uh, it will, there will be influence happening on Uber drivers to bring people to certain wineries. Uh, and the article also talked about, um, you know, like an Uber driver, a conversation between a driver and some of their passengers who were saying, oh, I'd really like to go drink this wine in a vineyard. And the Uber driver's like, yeah, I can take you there. So, you know, there's opportunities to do things that you've maybe wanted to do before but didn't know how. You know, there's people on the ground now with local knowledge carting you around. So, you know, again, this is this is again wine experience changing the way the wine business happens. Yep. Um, so that's and and really again targeted to millennials. Millennials are huge Uber. I was I was in San Francisco for a conference last week, blown away at the Uber usage. And I was in a neighborhood. I happened to stay at an Airbnb in a neighborhood in San Francisco that you know. Um, you know, I get up in the morning. Well, I'll tell you, I, I got up and got in an Uber. It was the wrong Uber. <laughs> How did you find out? Get this. The house that I was at, there were three people getting Ubers effectively at the same time. Oh, my gosh. Going to, and the other two people were going to work. They were not going to the conference. So I got in the Uber, and the guy's like, Stan? And I'm like, I am not Stan. <laughs> And I look out the window, and the door opens, and this guy comes out, and I open it. I'm like, you're Stan. He's like, yep. And I'm like, this is your car. And I'm looking behind, and I'm, and the guy's like, Bill. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And then another one rolled up as I was leaving. And I'm like, yeah, that was – so, you know, that service is – that service is, you know, they talk about that service replacing people needing cars. It's true. Yes. That's the model that their their whole thing is. We don't want anyone driving around unless we want everyone to be an Uber driver. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was really it was really interesting. It, it was really interesting. So I, you know, I can see where this whole, you know, this thing could work really well. I mean, I, look, I would take, I would make use of it. I mean, people in town, or even I, I would, I would pay, I would pay the freight on that any day. Yeah, it's it's kind of it really is a no brainer. Yeah, that well, area. I mean, ten, I mean, it's ten k. You know, it's ten k. On average, for a DUI, you know, yes. plus the, you know, plus going to jail and like, you know, I don't need that experience. <laughs> you know, I don't need that experience in my life ever. Um, so why not pay the freight? Plus, just that you know, you just don't have to worry about, um, you know, driving. You just go enjoy. You can really enjoy. I, you know, for me, I think you can go enjoy the wine experience much more. Plus the, they can cart you to lunch and to dinner. It's just, it's great. It's really a good idea, man. Having it right on, right on cue for you. That's a beautiful area, by the way. I mean, it's, it's uh, not 
very heavily populated, but that whole area north of Santa Barbara in Santa Barbara County is that's a great place to go wine tasting and just in general for food. I mean, it's becoming kind of a a culinary destination. Also used to be, you could just get, uh, what do they call those? Solvang. They have the, the, the cookies, the little, uh, the cookies and the bakeries are pretty awesome if you're into that thing. And uh, what is what is it that they – oh, the split pea soup. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> so, so they're so, going the split pea soup now. Right. So Solvang was settled by um, Dutch Dutch immigrants or Swedish? Oh, boy. I now think I... it's Swedish. Um, but uh, don't quote me on that. Anyway, they have some Nordic country. Danish. Danish. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Um, I'll keep guessing. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> Go. But anyway, they were settled by, you know, sort of the Nordic from uh, people from, you know, um, the Dutch or Danish. Sorry. Uh, you know, the Nordic countries. Wow. We're going to look great in our geography. So they have a whole the town is all um, its building codes are set so that it's it looks like, you know, a Nordic town. And they have sort of this, you know, this split pea soup and all the great bakeries. But it is a pretty dynamite wine region. And not, it really is. And not, and not populated. Yeah, not populated. I also believe Santa Barbara has like this. It's sort of outside Santa Barbara has this thing they call the wine ghetto, where there's a bunch of artisan winemakers that are all sort of in the same facility that have gotten a lot of notoriety in the last couple of years. I remember reading about that. So it's a good place to go visit. Plus, you know, don't have to drive anymore. You know, and it's it's not it hasn't really been discovered yet. So, I mean, you can go down there and you can really get taken care of and you go to a place and there's a good chance that, you know, the winemaker or the winemaker's assistant is going to be the one that's pouring you the wine. Right. So talk about really getting uh, getting in the know. That's that's a place to be. That's for sure. Well, we should probably wrap it here. A couple of things we didn't get to is, you know, more movement in the beer industry with um, Miller um, and Anheuser-Busch, like trying to tie it up. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if you can have one and two get together without having some serious antitrust issues. Yeah, just more <laughs> so. commoditized beer. Um, for those that don't know, huge fire to the, um, you know, effectively touching Sonoma, Mendocino, Lake Counties. Um, it's uh, been pretty devastating to Lake County. Um you know, that's kind of where the fire is, you know, the majority of the fire is, but, um, I think it might even be seeping into Napa, but, um, don't quote me on that, but it's still not, you know, still not, um, contained close to being contained. I think I saw this morning it was 40% contained, but you know, all of those areas are in, you know, thank goodness at some level it's getting close to the, you know, end of actually harvest, but you know, there could be smoke damage from this stuff. And of course, you know, Middletown is it, Middletown, California is blown away. Um, and in fact, it is it is it is bad enough that they're asking for donations. So there are um, I would say the Press Democrats probably a good place to go if you're interested. Pressdemo.com and and check out their reporting. They also have ways to how to help um, there. Um, they'll give you jumping off points to go um, demo and, and um, or sorry to uh, donate volunteer if you want. I noticed in a press demo this morning too that there's been a bunch of chefs that have been going up there to kind of help with, um, you know, help feed, feed feeding people. Yeah, there's been a. It's really a lot of people have pitched in and done a lot of good things, a lot of donations. It's it's it was a terrible thing. I think that fire broke out 
it broke out when we were uh, taping our last show, yep. Yep. and uh, we we weren't even aware of it. But it swept. I mean, it 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 blew up in less than twenty four hours to like forty thousand acres. It was just like a just a a torch. Well, people have you know people got trapped in their homes. There's a couple of fatalities. You know the the um, the town of Middleton is gone. It's just. I mean, I've seen some pictures where, you know, you're literally like the stove in the house. You know, yeah, the was... frame of the stove is there, but like, it's just, it, it, you know, it looks like a huge bomb went off. Um, it's pretty well, they did in that area. If you, re- if you recall, especially in some of the little remote areas, you know, heating was accomplished by people having propane yeah, yeah, gas, tanks, the gas tanks. So they all cooked off and blew up. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it was, it's a real mess. So. So hearts go out to everybody out there. It looks like they're finally today. They're letting some people um, in the Middletown area go back up to check out their property, you know, and see how things are. So uh, there's going to be uh, it's going to be a long way, a long time before that place comes comes together, though, because if you think about all the lines that are now just the PG&E, uh, I believe the water plant actually was compromised and partially burned. So, I mean, you might be able to get up there. I have uh, somebody that I work with, actually, but um, there's no power. They're in that little Hidden Valley area. So they've got no power at their house and uh, no water. You know, it's... Well, it's smoke. Yeah. I mean, all the, you know, the smoke's horrible to have to breathe. So, yeah. Um, And we'll put a link. We'll we'll find a link for, um, you know, some of the stuff we talked about if you, you know, if you can donate um, or volunteer. Okay. All right. Um, and the only other thing is real quick, uh, the wine train has been sold. Yes, that's true. So. And uh, maybe we'll save that for next time. But there's all kinds of seriously uh, interesting implications as a result of that. Under new management. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> all right. All right, all right. Bill. Uh, hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. Yes. Uh, Tell a friend. Leave a review. You can reach us at Vino at v- info at vino net on Twitter at <laughs> on Twitter. On Twitter at um, vino101.net and uh, at uh, like us our, like us on our Facebook page. So we appreciate everybody who's listening and subscribing. All right, thanks everybody. All right, cheers. Cheers. Bye now.